Hello and welcome to the Cinderella podcast, where we watch and review every Cinderella adaptation we can get our hands on, discussing the same story over and over until we slowly go insane. I'm Liv. And I'm Talon. And today we watched Cinderella Goes to a Party, made in 1942, which we're calling the World War II Cinderella. We would also like to wish listener Nikki a very happy early birthday. Happy birthday, Nikki. We hope you have a phenomenal year. May your highs be like good Cinderella's and may your lows also be like good Cinderella's and not like bad Cinderella's. Absolutely. So Cinderverse wishes you well. Yeah, so this was a really weird Cinderella. This is an animated short from 1942, as Talon said, Columbia favorite by Technicolor. And not gonna lie, I was really excited about this one initially because it was seven minutes and it said it was a World War II Cinderella. And I was like, oh, we haven't seen that. Maybe that'll be fun. Was it fun, Liv? No, no, it wasn't fun. I also thought, it's only seven minutes. How bad could it be? You guys, this one was real racist. Yeah, this was real racist. We considered just skipping this one because we feel weird about saying this was super racist. Uh, but this part was cute. But we decided to go forward with it and review this anyway because it is a real thing that really exists in the world. and. I think a lot of the history of racism in America and in animation and in Hollywood in general and the arts is often just not discussed. And so a lot of people don't know about it. And it's really easy to forget our terrible history and then repeat it and think that nothing bad ever happened. So we're going to talk about this. Yeah. And, you know, just a heads up, you don't have to listen to this if you feel like this is going to like ruin your day. Like, we still love you. We wish we'd skip this. You should totally skip this if you don't want to listen. That's fine. We're not mad at you. We love you. Exactly. So this is your warning. Racist stuff happens. It's really gross. There you go. If you would like to proceed, you have been warned. Okay. So we start off with fairly jaunty music. And at this point, I was hopeful. There is one of those cute drawn title cards that I always really like in old-timey cartoons where it's like, the title and then there's little drawings around it of the different characters yeah i was like oh cool charming this is adorable yeah so we see our stepsisters first and we see them in silhouettes and this is fun they have extremely weird shapes the one on the right is shaped like a linebacker like the angry princess from the evil princess and the shepherdess one from a few weeks ago just very barrel chested the other one is shaped like a squiggle and just just very bony. And even though she's a silhouette and we see her in profile, we can see every single one of her teeth because they're drawn to like stick out. Mm -hmm. And her nose is very big and very round. So she looks kind of like Popeye. Yes, it's pretty effective. And so we watch them. There's a heart-shaped mirror between them with a little desk in front of it. And they're clearly getting ready for the ball and they're talking in their Brooklyn accents about, oh, aren't we the lucky ones? I can't do a Brooklyn accent. I'm so sorry. Aren't we the lucky ones to be invited to the royal ball? You're so good at that. It's amazing. <gasps> it's amazing because I can't do any other accent <laughs> to save your life. Yeah, that's why it's impressive. They all sound vaguely like Harley Quinn from the old Batman cartoon. Yes, a little bit. But they do some weird stuff. So the big barrel-chested one puts on a corset, which squishes her ribs down to a very waist-shaped shape. And the other one puts on, like, a butt. It's like a pillow, and she seems to, like, tie it to her butt. 
And then it gives you like a very curvy pear shape. Mm -hmm. And while they're talking about how wouldn't it be nice if maybe the prince would marry one of us. Oh, we'd be a princess. They both put on slips over their various structural undergarments. And their silhouettes are now very classic 1940s shapely woman silhouettes. It looks like a magic trick. As the dress goes down over their bodies, their bodies completely change shapes into like very svelte, curvy ladies. And then we hear a shattering sound. And what I thought happened, because again, guys, we're seeing all of this in silhouette. This is just completely black outlines in front of sort of a yellowy curtain. I think that they've looked in the mirror and the mirror broke because they're still ugly. That's so funny. That's not what happens. I was wrong. Cinderella has dropped something off screen and both sisters turn to shriek at her with their teeth sticking out half a mile and all missing and jaggedy. When they put the dresses over their heads, they also apparently put on wigs at the same time. I guess. And their head shapes got smaller during that process somehow. It was a clever animation. I. It was cute. Yeah, I like the silhouette part. I thought that was cute and clever. Yeah, so they shriek at Cinderella and then we cut to Cinderella. And she's in the kitchen and she's dropped like a plate or something and she's on her knees and she's wearing this brown raggedy dress. I have in my notes that she looks like Yeshen. Oh, interesting. I have in my notes that she looks like a cartoon version of Wednesday Adams. That too. She has extremely wide set eyes, like extremely wide set. Yeah. And she has her hair in these two braids that are black. And they're not narrow enough to really be Wednesday Adams braids. They look sort of... They're like milkmaid braids, but they're black. So I think Wednesday Adams. Yeah, I guess. That sort of reminded me of some of the braids that are in Peter Pan. Oh, who has braids in Peter Pan? The, the First Nations people. Oh! Mm. Yeah, so not, not great. It reminded me of that animation. And I was like, uh, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. Anyways... Cinderella's in this brown raggedy dress and she's very pale, but in like a jaundice tuberculosis kind of way. Like she doesn't look healthy. She's got black lips. So the whole effect is very goth. And she's also barefoot. Yes. So she's kneeling on the floor and she's crying and she picks up what looks like a pot and is crying on it and washing it with her tears, which I thought was very dramatic. And then the pot starts to glow. And it turns out that it's a lamp and a giant racist caricature genie comes out of the lamp. My notes go, oh no, giant racist genie, please don't have an accent. Oh no, he does. Yeah, it's, it's not great. It's nope. It is extremely caricature. Like it's, it's terrible. It's a caricature of a black person, fill in the blanks, basically. But he's also wearing a turban. And what appears to be a diaper with a safety pin. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he goes, I'm in the wrong story. I thought this was Aladdin. She's like, nope, I'm Cinderella. Who are you? And then he makes a genie with the light brown hair joke because he takes off his turban and he has light brown cornrows. And for those who didn't grow up in the 40s like I did because I am an ancient bog witch, genie spelled like the girl's name. So J-E-A-N-I-E. Genie with the light brown hair was a famous song from back then that was really popular. Oh. So that was a musical pun joke. He also then makes a joke about Cindy Lou, which Cindy Lou was also a famous song from the time that was a big hit around then. 
oh okay I didn't understand any of that thank you for explaining that yeah so that's what's happening it's happening in like a horrible racist caricature voice and it's not funny so I didn't like it but I did understand what was happening right and then he's like okay so I don't know why you called me you need a fairy godmother and then he calls for the fairy godmother and then he leaves and my notes go into all caps why did that happen I just, it genuinely did not affect the plot in any way. Nope. It's literally in there because they thought that this would be a really clever and funny thing to put in there. Mm-hmm. And so they specifically hit the brakes on the entire cartoon in order to just cram this into our faces. Yep. And I have a lot of notes about the guy that did this voice as well. Because um, <laughs> I fell down a really fun rabbit hole. Do you want to tell us some of these? Yeah. So his name is Danny Webb. He is the son of Jewish immigrants. And he did a lot of work for Warner Brothers. He was the voice of Goofy and the voice of Woody Woodpecker after the guy that was famous for doing their voices got in a fight with Walt Disney and stormed out and they needed to replace him. But best of all, this man who does a lot of caricatures, evidently, he remained single his entire life until he died at 77 because he could not find a wife religious enough to please his parents. And that makes me happy. I'm glad that this man did not have a wife. So funny. And just to clarify, definitely a white guy. Definitely a white guy. 100% like of Jewish descent, Caucasian. Not not in any way with the melanin. (laughs) I just, I hadn't, I wasn't (laughs) expecting you to say that. (laughs) Yeah, so then that stops happening to us. And we were very happy that that stopped happening. And the fairy godmother crashes through the ceiling on a broom. And she says, I'm getting too heavy for the broom. And she's huge. She's like Madame Maxine huge. Like she's massive. Proportionally, her chest is very big and up high, but not in a breasts kind of way, but in a Gaston kind of way. Yeah, in like an I'm wearing plate armor under this dress kind of way. She looks like Johnny Bravo. Yes. With tiny legs, tiny legs, Mm -hmm. very long torso with all of the mass gathered right in the chest. Yes. But to be clear, not breasts, just rib cage. There's no cleavage. There's no like boob articulation. This is just barrel chest. I mean, it could be like a mono boob situation, but. If it is, we can't tell. Yeah. Yeah. So. She's also got like a wizard hat on, by the way. Yeah, she was weird. I was I was alarmed at how much bigger than Cinderella she was proportionally. Not like, oh, this is a heavier person. But no, this person is genuinely just like a times two. Like someone just took the corner and just dragged her and she just got bigger. She is almost twice as tall as Cinderella. Yeah, and we see them at the same level as Cinderella bends down to help get her up and their heads are at the same level. And her head is, again, twice as big as Cinderella. So it's very disturbing. It was uncomfortable to watch. Because they're both proportionally, like, fairly normal. But they don't match each other. But they don't match each other. (laughs) Yeah, it was upsetting. Like, pick one. (sighs) But then she says something really fun. Did you get this line? Yeah. So, okay. So the fairy godmother takes her wand and kind of flicks it. And it transforms into little glasses on a long stick. Mm -hmm. And she pulls it up to her eyes. And she goes, I represent the local 220 of the fairies union. And then she flicks her little glasses wand and it turns into a sign that says AFL on it. And she goes, American Fairies Local, you're going to the Royal Jam Session. 
Yeah. Pleased that our fairy union, fae university through line continues to exist. The fairy cinematic universe. Yep. Yep. That's the thing. At this point, the fairy godmother waves her wand again at Cinderella and her raggedy brown dress transforms into a really pretty black flamenco dress with red frills. It's really pretty. It's an off-the-shoulder dress. It has a big, floofy, ruffled train. It's very high-low, so it's very, very high-cut in the front. And Cinderella also has a giant yellow bow on her head and is wearing sort of doll makeup with, like, the perfectly round red cheeks. Like, it was weird. Like the Wendy's. McDonald's? Who's who's the... Wendy's. Wendy's. Like the Wendy's mascot? It doesn't have makeup. Well, then who's the... Somebody has round cheek makeup. There's a mascot somewhere for something that has round cheek makeup, and it's like that, okay? Are you thinking of, like, Ronald McDonald the clown? Are you saying she's got clown makeup? No, she just has, like, circle cheeks. Just, like, the circle... Yeah, like a cartoon. It's it's a regular cartoon thing. All right. And her hair is now out of the braids, and it's kind of piled a little bit on top of her head, but mostly swept back behind her ears in a very 40s coif. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a pretty hairstyle. And then the fairy godmother waves her wand again and points it at Cinderella's feet, and Cinderella's now on tiptoe. And Talon and I are like, ah, the shoes. Mm-mm-mm. Talon, you want to see what we get instead of shoes? Sure. So Cinderella is holding her skirt up, so we see her, like, whole entire legs. And I'm like, oh, that's an interesting choice, that they're trying to be, like, sexy in this cartoon, but sure, whatever. And then the wand gets pointed at the feet, and something appears on the feet that looks kind of like the top of, like, flip-flops. And I was like, oh, that's weird, is that the shoe we're going with? No, it was a pair of silkworms. Just on top of her feet. Yeah. And the fairy godmother goes, get along, little silkworms, get along. And they spin in a whirlwind around each one of Cinderella's legs. And as they spin, they create silk stockings as they go up her legs, above her knees, and up her thighs. And then they stop. And one of the silkworms notices that there's a run going down her stocking and licks its little anthropomorphic finger and slides it up her leg and the run disappears. If anybody ever magics any kind of worm onto my legs, <laughs> I drop kick them out of existence and I go take a hot shower and never leave my house again. I'm about to say something terrible to you. All right, I'm, I'm braced. Hit me. What do you think that felt like when they were going around her legs? I quit the podcast. Well, it's almost midnight, so we have to go now. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for joining. Uh, This episode has been tragically cut short by (laughs) Olivia's sphere of uh, worms. Uh, I think it feels gross, Talon. I think it feels really gross. Super duper gross. (laughs) Unfortunately, the worms go away then, and we get actual shoes, which I can't really tell if they're gold or glass they look gold they don't really look glass to me they look gold to me too kind of like metallic-y yeah not yellow gold no but definitely not glass glass normally has sort of a bluish tint that we see to it or a whitish tint and this was definitely kind of yellowy not bright gold colored but it didn't look glass and then just mere moments after the disappearance of the silkworms when we thought we were done with little anthropomorphic animals. So mice show up to the party 
and they're regular sized mice, but they're walking on their hind legs and they're rolling a pumpkin proportional to their sizes down the floor. And they're all singing in their little high pitched mouse voices. We're going to a party. We're going to a party. Hi, hello, the Dario. We're going to the ball. No, that's not how they sounded at all. That's not the melody. I'm not editing that. So that's how it's going to be. Great. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> uh, yeah, they are singing the Hi Ho the Dario song while carrying this pumpkin. None of it rhymed. None of it rhymed. That's why I got confused. Yep. That's, that's a very legitimate reason for confusion. And so they stop at the fairy godmother's feet and they sort of point and puff their chests up and, and point at this pumpkin very like, okay, yeah. And the fairy godmother's like, absolutely not. She goes, beat it, boys. You bother me. <laughs> they kind of gesticulate mousily at the pumpkin. Like, no, for real, this is how the story goes. You, you need us. We are part of the story. She goes, a pumpkin? No, boys. No. She's traveling first class. And the mice glower at her and one of them shakes its fist at her. And then they carry the pumpkin away. Yeah. So that also didn't need to happen to us. Although this was definitely not the worst. And then the mice sing at you thing that we've seen. That's true. That's very true. Also, you know what didn't happen, Talon? What? The pumpkin didn't come alive and sing at you. I would have taken the pumpkin coming alive and singing at me over the appearance of the genie. Oh, Easy. yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> that's not even a... I would take anything. Like, put a wolf in this. All right. So then the fairy godmother casts a magic spell that goes uh, abracadabra, aluminum, mumbo jumbo, priorities, coffee pot, skillet, frying pan, and then she says something about transforming something into a plane. Yep. I was excited to see this because I thought that we were going to get like a single-seater World War II fighter pilot plane that's kind of small. But the cooking ware all stacks itself up in just to a big stack. And I'm like, well, that that's not a plane. Um, that doesn't look like anything. It doesn't look like anything. And then some more cutlery comes from somewhere and spreads itself out on the floor along like the Z-axis of this thing. And I'm just like, what's, what's happening? It looks kind of like a very large L-shape. Mm -hmm. on the floor heading out of the doorway yeah it's real weird just a pile of aluminum crockery yeah which by the way the description says the fairy godmother turns her aluminum pans into a plane i was expecting that the pans would enlarge and that a reasonable number of pans would exist in the home become bigger and then become a plane but what happens is this woman turns an entire Williams Sonoma store into a massive airplane because what we're seeing is the very tip of the tail of the airplane, which is too big to fit through the doorway. It's way bigger than the doorway. And before we can really process this, we cut outside to the house and the entire house explodes as a giant bee bomber plane bursts out of it. So this is another house explodes, Cinderella. That's true. I think what's happening here is that the fairy godmother can't break hard rules of science. So she cannot create matter where there is no matter. And so she must assemble all of the aluminum that she needs to create the plane. I guess. I just wasn't expecting it. I was expecting sort of a cartoonishly small plane, you know, in this cartoon. But no, we get a fairly realistically sized airplane. Yeah, it's just like a regular airplane. Yeah, it's just regular. It doesn't look magical. You know what? 
maybe it does look like something. I just realized I don't know a single thing about airplanes. So please disregard. It says B19 and one half on the wings. Yes. Fairy Godmother hands Cinderella up into the plane. Like she's helping her up on a horse. Mm-hmm, yep. And grabs the propeller and starts the propeller. No, she flicks her magic wand at the oh. propeller. Oh. She uses magic to start the plane. All right. Then the plane flies off and we cut to the inside of the plane and Cinderella's flying the plane, which I was not expecting. I didn't know she could do that. I didn't know she could fly a plane. If I was suddenly transported into a plane made of aluminum crockery, uh, I would be alarmed. Yeah. And probably still checking myself for worms, to be perfectly honest. But like, <laughs> like that would be my primary concern. Like, I'm in the air. I'll be in the air for a little bit. Like, I need to make sure that there are no worms touching me. And then something horrifying happens. <laughs> There's a tapping sound, like a knock on the window. And I was like, what's happening? Is the plane breaking? The answer is no, not yet. Not yet. It's the fairy godmother who's flying right next to the plane, no longer on a broom, now on a vacuum cleaner. Yes. And she goes, I almost forgot. You have to be home by midnight. And then she goes, some stuff, eh, kid? Sure beats the broom. And this kind of like a peace sign at her. Yep. And flies off. But because she's not paying attention and throwing up a peace sign, she flies into a bell tower and gets caught up in the bell. And it rings like very many times. I wanted this movie to turn into the Hunchback of Notre Dame at this point. Do you think they fall in love? Yes. Okay. I think that they're happy together. And I don't know where to go with that. Okay. So then we see some images that I don't understand. Yeah. So we, we cut to the ball. We see the outside of a building and there's the big spotlight shiny lights shining big beams of light up into the sky and moving around it's it's the fancy hollywood shiny lights thing and when we go inside and we see a a dude with a big barrel chest but then a light shines through him and we see that he's wearing a giant iron hoop belly lobe contraption yeah like a light bulb but made out of metal and around him to make him barrel chested and imposing because he's in fact quite a skinny fellow inside of it and then that stops happening and just never comes back and doesn't matter and i don't know why that happened to us either so then cinderella's plane lands and the door opens and she goes to step out and she's greeted by three servanty guys Mm -hmm. and they look exactly the same except they come in a large medium and small and they line up by height and they bow to her and she steps down their backs like their stairs. And when she gets to the last guy, she pauses a little. And a yet smaller version of the three guys runs up and also bows to her, creating yet another step so that Cinderella doesn't have to jump down and can just step down from the guy's backs. Yeah, I didn't like this. I hated this. I don't like it when people use other people as furniture in general. If you're being super evil, it it can work well as a prop. And if you hit exactly the right note of comedy, you can probably make it work. But but it's pretty wretched, and I don't like it. So didn't like this part. She was wearing high heels when she was stepping on their backs. Right. And with every step, there was like sparkly, tinkly music. I just, yeah. So we see a big sign that says Prince Charming's USO party and a USO party for those who did not Google this before they started recording 
was <laughs> oh I'm so caught out did I make a face no I was <laughs> it's a united service organization and it is an American nonprofit charitable corporation that sends entertainment to members of the U.S. armed forces and their families overseas. So this was a very famous thing that happened in the 40s. And lots of really famous comedians and musicians and actors would go over. And it was a big part of the like support our troops thing to just raise morale as, you know, World War II was happening. So that's the party. And this is why I was sort of excited for this. I was like, oh, a USO party. Maybe that'll be like a world. No. The poster also says hot music, frozen prices. Did people have to pay to get in? I think USO parties were free. I did not Google that. I'm going to look that up. I mean, frozen prices must mean they're not high. They're cool. <laughs> so I typed into Google, do you have to pay to go to? And the first thing that pops up is Hogwarts. <laughs> <laughs> no, a USO party. Uh. Okay, 13 things about USO parties. We're going to history deep dive, y'all. Sorry about this. USO clubs were everywhere. Several estimates put the number at roughly 3,000 clubs worldwide during World War II. Today, there are about 160. Pugilists, welcome. <gasps> like fisticuffs? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Many locations had boxing rings and punching bags. This is what was far more popular than it is today. Smokes, but not booze. They did not sell liquor. Today, alcohol and tobacco are forbidden. But all snacks are free to troops and their families. There were celebrity waiters, so they wouldn't just entertain you. They would also bring you coffee and a donut. Some stars worked in shifts in the kitchen. They offered a button sewing service to keep their uniforms spiffy. Most of them were run by women, an esteemed woman from the local community. They were called hostesses, but they were in charge of stuff. No slacks allowed. Uh, young women were not allowed to wear pants. Which is not surprising, given that it was World War II. Things junior hostesses were forbidden from doing. Smoking inside most of the areas, drinking alcohol on the job, dancing with other women when troops were present, refusing to dance with the serviceman unless he was being ungentlemanly and dancing conspicuously. I want to know what dancing conspicuously means. Uh, like, too close? I feel like that would fall under the ungentlemanly category. I'm just imagining some (gasps) dude just being like, I'm gonna twerk. I think it means bad dancer. Oh. Wouldn't that be funny if you're allowed to be like, you're a bad dancer and I don't want to dance with you anymore? That sounds like something like somebody's frosty mother would say. That young man is a conspicuous dancer. Oh my God. Yeah. The rules for junior hostesses were in rhyme format. <gasps> no! Yep. Colored socks and high heels, too, are very odd-looking and just won't do. So if you're smart and very wise, just wear heels and economize. Wearing slacks to the USO. Pants are made for Jack and Joe. Slacks are made for a time and place. Don't wear them here and be a disgrace. A backless dress will never do, and not too short or loud. The simpler ones are more becoming, and you'll be stepping along with the crowd. There more? No. Thank God. Three verses is the end of our rules. Those? What if they had a rule that was too hard to rhyme? Did they just not include that rule? That was from the Junior Hostess Manual from Macon, Georgia. Oh. Okay, I'm just, I'm too interested in this now. But I, I'm going back to my original 13 things. 
Wait, what's the conspicuous dancer? Uh, it doesn't say. It just says conspicuously. Okay, well, I'm Googling the phrase conspicuous dancer. Okay. Okay, I'm not getting anything for conspicuous dancer. I give up. Anyways, junior hostesses were usually single women between 18 and 30. However, marital status was not grounds for exclusion. National USO strictly opposed the inclusion of women under the age of 16 as hostesses. Good. You needed to fill out an application and submit it to the staff. You needed to provide the following. Name, address, telephone number, occupation, employer, length of residence in the community, husband's occupation if married, age, church preference, and recommendation by at least two mature members of the community other than relatives. In addition, they also had have senior hostess recommend them. And it was of utmost importance to the USO that junior hostesses be, quote, good girls. Ew. What a, ew. If they were given ID cards that identified them as such. If they did not present their ID club, they were denied entry. I'm sorry, identified them as good girls or identified them as hostesses? Junior hostesses, I believe. Oh, okay. That was unclear from the way you said it. They were also required to take a minimum of one class per year to prepare them for their duties and responsibilities as a junior hostess. This class included information about the function, program, and philosophy of the USO, charm and etiquette, health, cosmetics, and clothes, citizenship and loyalty, and how to handle inappropriate behavior from military personnel. Oh, yikes. Okay. I, wow. Wow. I just, that's just hilarious. Could you imagine being like, yes, you have to learn philosophy, etiquette, health, beauty, history, and lo- what, what is even loyalty? Like, how do you teach loyalty in a school? And also, what I'm assuming is a first attempt at self-defense classes, because I doubt it was just like, tell them no. I bet it was like, how to break a grip. Like, I know, I'm worried it was something like, you shouldn't say no directly, you should be like, Oh, that's undoubtedly what it was. You should smile and be like, oh, I have a husband or whatever. Or like, oh, that or was like, such a funny joke. Yeah. Oh, aren't you a charmer? Aren't you sweet? And then like walk away. Yeah. I'm sure that's what it is. In my mind, what I'm envisioning is a college where young women go and learn like elite philosophy, like Aristotelian philosophy and like jujitsu levels of self-defense. And like politician levels of charm, and so they learn different accents so they can fit in with like spy school. I'm envisioning spy school. Oh, that's so funny because I was picturing like Marvel's Agent Carter, yes, teaching a bunch of USO girls how to like knee a guy in the nuts. Yes, absolutely. That's what I want this to be. That's what I've decided. Okay, so going back to the 13 things, (laughs) number nine, mobile USOs aren't a new thing. There used to be mobile USOs that consisted of trucks with generators and screens. Roughly $33 million were raised by USO from its inception in 1941 through the end of World War II in 1945. That is the equivalent of $433.7 million today, BT dubs. Wow. USO tours in World War II were dangerous. 37 USO entertainers died during World War II. The most famous entertainer who didn't make it back was legendary big band leader and then army major Glenn Miller, whose plane disappeared over the English Channel on the way to France. The USO's Honolulu Center became famous for making banana splits. Okay. Apparently, they went through nearly one ton of bananas and 250 gallons of ice cream per day. Did they, like, 
invent them or something? Did people not know how to make them before? No, they just became the world's largest producer of banana splits for a few years. Is that like how Costco is one of the top five biggest pizza chains because of how many Costco's there are and they all have like a pizza? I I presume. Okay. But the last one is my favorite. Oh boy. USOs helped start the modern childcare industry. Today, millions of working families drop children off at daycare. That wasn't the case entering the 1940s. However, with many women going to work to support the war effort and their husbands often deployed, select USOs started their own daycare operations. <gasps> That's so cool. That is fascinating. Wow. So yeah, lots of cool stuff. None of that happens in the Cinderella. We immediately get trumpeters and we get another absolutely ridiculous clown prince screaming at the top of his lungs as he slides his way down a big banister okay so this is where we have another digression because the prince is once again a parody of a real uh, not a real person but like a character that a famous actor plays Mm -hmm. so in this case the actor that he's meant to resemble is jerry colonna who was a comedian and he played like a zany sidekick on Bob Hope's radio shows, and they actually did USO tours as well. He also did the voice for the March Hare in the Disney Alice in Wonderland film. Yeah, so he, he had like a bunch of catchphrases. He was very recognizable, like visually. He had like a receding hairline and very slick back black hair, and then a very big, almost like Mario-like mustache. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the actor Jerry Colonna was Italian, and the prince in the Cinderella cartoon speaks with a very exaggerated Italian accent. He's also significantly shorter than Cinderella, and is very kind of noodle-armed. Gangly. Yeah. Weird-looking dude. Not as horrifically clownish as the Harpo Marx one, but not good. Yeah. So he slides down the banister just yelling something the entire time. And then when he finishes the slide, it turns out that he stretched out the E and hello the entire time he was sliding down. So he goes, hello, Cindy. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, shall we dance? And then he goes, pardon me, Cindy, while I command the orchestra to play. He comes up to the orchestra, which is a wall-sized giant contraption titled with ye old jukebox with extra E's at the end of each word. And this is, this is kind of cool. He inserts a coin and he spins the thing on it to select a different record on the jukebox. Mm-hmm. But the records are the stage where the musicians are playing. So they're physically like, I don't know. There's physically people on these giant records to symbolize the music that's playing on them. And it's really cool. Yeah. But that gets tossed out by like a robotic arm. Mm -hmm. And then a different record gets pulled up. And then we have more egregious racism. Yes. Fortunately, it's on the screen for a very short period of time. But this is the traditional, we are switching from classical music to danceable jazz music. And so we need to have a minstrel show because this is the 40s. In America, it was terrible in the 40s. And I hated it. Yeah. So it's a group of Black musicians, but they're drawn really offensively, and the music that they're playing becomes very upbeat and swingy. Mm -hmm. The Prince and Cindy dance something, kind of. It's supposed to be some sort of jazzy, swingy dance, but it's 
it's not recognizably anything and the music is also not recognizably anything specific like it's it's not oh this is a swing tune or oh this is a jitterbug or this is a tango or anything it's just this is upbeat faster music and the dancing is just like we shuffle from side to side and then we shuffle from this side to the other side they kind of like cock their hips at different points yeah theoretically to the beat of the music but not actually to the beat of the music if you just if there were no visuals i would assume that they were no if there were no visuals at this if there was no sound at this point because cinderella (laughs) (laughs) i just realized what you did twice i just didn't want that you were just stumbling i thought you were just stumbling over your words nope (laughs) that's not what was happening yeah so if there was no sound at this point because cinderella is wearing a flamenco dress I would assume that they were doing a merengue or something, some sort of salsa dance, because it's sort of salsa-esque and it's sort of side-to-side hip jiggle movements. If you account for the limitations of like an animation studio budget and limitations of the time, you could kind of squint and be like, I guess that's what they were going for. It's more symbolic than actually representative of the dance. Yes, but that's not the music that we have going. Not even a little bit. Even at all. It, ha- it doesn't even have a hint of flair. So it was just a very confusing choice. But before I could really get fussy about it, a conga line starts. So the prince goes, ah, yes, melotonous, isn't it? Which I don't think is a word. I think he was going either for melodious. Melodious is a word. Yeah, or monotonous, maybe. Mellifluous is also a word, but more usually refers to voices. Yeah, I like, we paused it and I wrote it down, monotonous. Yeah. We also get a shot of the clock ticking. They've got time. They Mm -hmm. still have like an hour, but it does show us the passage of time. And I do like it when Cinderella films kind of ground us in when things are happening, especially when we're at the ball. I like to know if we have three hours or 15 minutes when Cinderella arrives. Yeah, because we have seen all of those and it really changes the story yeah and then cindy kind of bends over dancing and the princess's hands on like her waist and is also bent over behind her dancing this was a very confusing visual but what's actually happening is that they're at the beginning of a conga line but we don't know that yet and the prince says don't look now but i think we're being followed and then the entire collection of people are in this conga line it like pants to reveal them Yeah, but like they're smaller, like they get tinier, but not like we're looking at them from a distance, just like they're small. I thought it was meant to denote perspective to show the incredible length of this conga line. I think that is what it was trying to do, but it failed. Yeah, I think that was the intent. It definitely looks like people are standing in order by height Mm -hmm. and they're getting proportionally smaller, just like the size differences with Cinderella and the fairy godmother. Yes. They then do a conga line spiral all around the towers of this castle. Like they go up a turret. I don't know why that happened. Who can say? And then we get an exterior shot of the castle at night. Mm -hmm. And there's these like party lights happening, Mm -hmm. like floodlights, but just in different colors. And then we just immediately leave that. And now we're on the balcony and the prince and Cinderella are like looking at each other and there's light coming from the inside of the palace, but they're like kind of 
in darkness by themselves. Mm-hmm. And the prince says something that's like weirdly romantic. He goes, ah, this is madness, but I love it. Yep. And he grabs Cinderella's hands and leans in for a very weird smooch. But the clock chimes midnight and Cinderella books it. Just runs exceedingly fast out of this room. And the prince chases her. Well, the prince topples over because he's leaned so far to smooch her that he's lost all balance now that she's run. Mm -hmm. He chases her and he dives after her and manages to grab a shoe, which still looks like it's gold and not glass. We then see Cinderella flying herself home in her plane and her plane starts to glow and then it breaks apart midair. She's in the sky surrounded by stars and clouds and her plane dissolves into pots and pans and she falls from airplane height. But don't worry, guys. She puts her hands by her waist so that we don't get an upskirt, like so that her skirt does not fly up an inappropriate amount as she plummets to her death. But she does not die. Talon, do you want to explain why she doesn't die? Absolutely. So the skirt that's billowing up behind her straight up into the air appears to tug Cindy upwards off screen. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that her skirt has been sucked up by the vacuum cleaner that the fairy godmother is flying around on. And Cindy's just kind of hanging there by her butt, basically. Yeah, that is also what my note says. Yeah. And the fairy godmother basically scolds her and says, you know, I told you to hurry up and get home by midnight. After all, all these parts are on the priorities list, which I'm guessing is some sort of World War II rationing thing. That would make sense. And then we get a bunch of newspapers and Mm -hmm. they all go extra, 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 and they're hot off the presses. The rest of the film is just in uh, newspaper form because I guess they ran out of animation budget. I, I guess. That's my. That's the only possible explanation. I mean, there is a little bit more animation right at the very end, but the climax and denouement of the film are largely in spinning newspapers, which is a weird choice. Yeah, it's it's definitely a choice. We did get some interesting headlines, though. I got them all down. Okay, fantastic. So the first newspaper says in big headlines, Prince left in lurch, starts frantic search. And then the little... Smaller headlines at the columns at the side say, finds love at ball. And then the one on the other side says, balls for love, but balls as in like cries. So B-A-W-L-S. And I thought that was funny. Mm-hmm. The next paper says, Prince offers reward of $10,000 in war bonds. The smaller headlines say, queen of his dreams. And I'm going nuts, he screams. And then the next paper is Strife Magazine. And it is a really well done graphic design for the cover of a magazine it's this big stylized question mark going down to a glass shoe but honest to god i thought it was his mustache the first time we saw it because he has a really long black droopy mustache and the big black question mark bit looks like a mustache so i was like why is his mustache on the cover of a magazine is he eating her shoe what's happening i don't understand this at all so i was really happy when he watched it again and i was like oh it's not his facial hair Thank you, Jesus. Uh, so Strife Magazine looked suspiciously like a real magazine to the point where I was like, oh, is this real? Is this a real thing? So I Googled it and something did come up, but it was current and it didn't appear to go back to the 1940s. So I Googled Strife Magazine 1940 and nothing came up, but I got a bunch of image results for Life Magazine. You guys, Life Magazine. Yeah. 
So that's what that is. Yeah, that was a pun. Anyways, we find out that these Life magazines also cost 10 cents, which I just thought was a cute little thing at the bottom. And then we see the inside of this magazine, and it is Strife Magazine goes on a searching party, and we get the shoe montage in a series of still photographs in this magazine. And the first one is adorable because it's a mermaid. Yeah, it's like a mermaid sitting on a rock with her tail out, and it looks like the prince is holding the shoe up to one of her tail fins, and it's cute. It's super cute. And I thought the rest of the images were going to be like different fairy tales. And he's traveling through different fairy tales. And I thought that was going to be the through line with why they included the genie. It, n- no. no. The other three are just progressively more and more racist caricatures of different cultures. And they were gross. And I would have been so much happier if it had even just been other fairy tale creatures, not even other fairy tales. Yeah. It would have been cute if there had been like a little red riding hood and a sleeping beauty. But I would have been really happy if he was like trying the shoe on a centaur. Like that would be funny. That's fine. That would be great. You know what else would have worked really well? If he had just traveled the world. What if we had like the Eiffel Tower? What if we had the pyramids? What if we had Stonehenge? I don't know. You just have feet going into shoes. It's it's so easy, y'all. You just it's have so feet. easy not to like. It's so easy not to be racist. Yeah, just don't animate faces. You show like the Great Wall of China, and then a foot shaped foot goes into a shoe unsuccessfully, and then you show the pyramids, and a foot shaped foot goes into the shoe unsuccessfully, and then you show rainforests, and a foot shaped foot goes into the shoe unsuccessfully. Like this is super not hard. This, this is easier. It's oh my god. Ugh, 1940s. Anyways, so that stops, thank God. And then we get the next newspaper, which is No Trace of Cinderella, and we fade to black. These newspaper transitions so far have been fade transitions, but we now get the quintessential spinny newspaper transition, and it says, Cindy found. Riveting tail assembly at Lockheed. Marry me, cries Prince. Cindy accepts. I think the riveting tail assembly, because it's spelled riveting like the metal part, and tail like the tail of a plane. But I think it's a pun for an enthralling story as well. Right. And also the wedding march plays during this. Okay. Even before we see the newspaper. So I was like, oh, we're about to have a wedding. We did not. We do not. So we get Here Comes the Bride. But we also get Mendelssohn's wedding march, which is like, you pick one. You don't do both. Yeah, they did both back to back. Yeah, I was like, um, no, no, that's, you pick one. You pick one. And that's the one you do. You don't get to have both. You, I don't know why I'm mad about this, but I am. Also, Lockheed is referring to the Lockheed Martin Corporation, which is an American aerospace arms defense information security and technology corporation. Mm-hmm. So it's basically military aerospace technology. Yep. And there's a picture of somebody standing next to a plane yes. on this newspaper. So I guess Cindy is there? So. Like, do we think Cindy works there or lives there? Like, why are they at Lockheed specifically? I have no idea. Maybe the fairy godmother works there and she's orchestrating this? Because this isn't the Rosie the Riveter Cinderella. She is very clearly a servant in her sister's house, who, by the way, never, ever, ever show up again. No, we never see them. Okay, I also have a question. Mm -hmm. How far away is the USO Club from where Cindy and the stepsister started? Because Cindy flew there. I mean, to be fair, there are fairly short flights. Okay, but how did the sisters get there? Like, what was their plan? We don't know that they got there. We didn't see them there. But they were talking about going there. 
maybe an evil witch in the woods threw trees at them. You know, I rescind the question. If you don't want to engage with it, that's fine. <laughs> I have no idea how far away it was. I hope it's like next door. I, I hope Cindy just flew a few circles around and then landed it in the same place. Absolutely. I love that. I love that for them. We then see Cinderella and the prince in the airplane. I got to read you my notes, beloved listeners. My note goes, they're in the crock pot. Jesus live. Cockpit. <laughs> I literally wrote out crock pot because my fingers were like, those are the only letters that happen at all. So anyways. So yeah, we see the prince and Cindy in the cockpit and they're smooching. Mm-hmm. They're doing the thing where they kind of lean towards each other, like from their waist. And both have their lips sticking out pretty far. So it's kind of like a very silly smooch, considering Mm -hmm. that she's very beautiful and he's very silly looking. (laughs) I'm curious about where they're flying. Are are they flying back to the castle? Are they flying somewhere else? Are they like on their honeymoon because they already got married? Are they flying because it's World War II and they're going to war? In my dreams, they are going to drop bombs on Nazi Germany. (gasps) Oh, nice. That's that's how the Cinderella okay. of my dreams ends, is they just unalive a bunch of Nazis. Yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. So they pull apart, and the prince kind of clasps his hands together, like, in a very bashful way, with his arms straight down. And he swings back and forth a little bit, looking at Cindy. And then the plane begins to glow again, and the wing of the plane starts to transform back into pots and pans. Mm-hmm. And the prince looks up at the sky and he goes, not tonight, fairy godmother, not tonight. And so the plane goes back to being normal and he goes, thank you. Oh, I didn't know that was an option. Could you just always be like, oh no, I would like it to not happen. And then she can just make it not happen. Cindy was in midair. Well, it's even better because he doesn't just point his finger at the sky. He opens the top of his plane like it's a Chevrolet, like it's a convertible. Not like a convertible, like a sunroof. Like a sunroof, sorry. So he just sunroofs back the middle section of the plane to lean out and point his finger at the sky and then closes it again, like rolling up and down a window yes. to let a fly out of your car or something. It was, it was bonkers. And then... As if that wasn't enough. Yeah, as if we haven't suffered enough. We see mice on the wing of the airplane. Mm-hmm. And they have a pumpkin with them that they have carved into a bassinet for a baby and are rocking it. On the wing of a plane in midair, Rockabye Baby plays in the background, and Cinderella and the prince fly into the sun, and then we're finished, and the thing just says, Columbia Pictures, a color rhapsody, and I'm like, what? What? Why was there a, why was there a pumpkin bassinet? Is, is that hinting that Cinderella and the prince are going to get it on so thoroughly that she definitely has a baby in nine months? Like, what? It, what it looks like the basket is empty. They shaded it in dark, so there is room where they could have drawn a baby, and they actively chose not to. And I don't know if that was, like, a shortcut of the animation, but at that point, you could have drawn it from a lower angle so that you just see the bassinet in profile. Yeah. So it does seem to be directly saying that there is not a baby in there yet, but then why would the mice be rocking it? Maybe they're practicing? Uh Uh-huh. How are they staying on the plane? That's a plane in midair. They're on the wing of a plane. It's going really fast. Like, they have magnetic shoes. We did not see them wearing magnetic shoes, Talon. No, they do, though. The mice don't have magnetic shoes. No, I decided that they do. That's how. Oh, okay, that's fine. Great, I'm fine with that. They can just 
I guess, then get ripped off at the leg. Okay, so anyway, that's it. That's the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah, so we're done now. We're done with that. That happened to us, and we talked about it, and now we're done talking about it. So what were your highs and lows? Okay, like, obviously, racism is... Obviously, the, the lows are the racism. Yeah, like, it's not funny to say racism, but, like, obviously, racism. Yeah. But for the entertainment purposes of this podcast, I was annoyed by the fact that all of the people were different proportions, and... Mm. No one looked like they belonged in the same cartoon. Yeah, that was a weird choice. Like, all of the art styles for each character were different, and they just hit, like, where some people were exactly proportionally smaller than some other people. I can't express enough that these characters weren't just short or tall. They were just, like, 125% bigger in every dimension. Yeah, someone had zoomed in on these characters. They'd control plus. Yeah, it was, or, like, they're standing much closer to the camera than everybody else. It's just, it was disjointed, and I didn't like it, and it was very distracting. I, like, how I immediately went for the low. Usually we start with the high. Usually starts with the high, but this had a lot of lows to pick from. Yeah. This was mostly lows. Mostly lows. My high was, I didn't have a high. I had a, that's surprisingly less bad than I thought it would be. So the prince was surprisingly less bad than I thought he would be. Because when he came down that banister yelling, I was like, oh, we've seen this. This is going to suck. He's going to be dopey and googly. His tongue's going to loll out of his body and he's going to have eyeballs going every which way and have a horn that he honked and a giant dildo sword yeah like that's what i was expecting but he talked like a regular cartoon person mm-hmm. you know yeah. and he moved mostly normally yeah. and he had a couple of good lines that i thought were like okay that's nice that's, yeah, he was... you know this is a very goofy cartoon yeah. but he's being kind of romantic sure yeah agreed so not as bad as i was expecting mm-hmm. How about you? What are your highs and lows? So yeah, obviously the racism. But in terms of the story, I was really upset that we did not see the stepsisters ever again. I really like seeing the stepsisters at the ball. I really like it when they're there. I really like it when they try to get the prince's attention and he specifically snubs them or something embarrassing happens to them in public. So I was I was disappointed that we never got to see them again. Yeah, like they they opened up the entire cartoon they did. and it was that was by far the most interesting thing that's going to be my high too is the silhouette thing at the beginning that was really cool mm-hmm. yeah it was really clever and it's it's a very smart use of animation yeah we have not seen that in 48 cinderellas mm-hmm. no one has done a silhouette where they just completely change shape that that was funny i liked it mm-hmm. yeah so those are my highs and lows i guess so, if we exclude the racism from this movie, what else would you change? I would have the wedding, like, actually happen on screen. It would be cool if there was, like, Wing Walker wedding, where, like, they did fighter pilot stuff, and they just, like, leaned into it and had the wedding on, like, the wings of the plane. I think that'd be cool. That would be pretty neat. I will say, even slightly further back, I think they should have shown us the moment where the prince finds Cindy. Yeah, that was a weird thing to get all of that in newspaper form. I, the the search part, I was like, okay, the search part is a great way to be like, yeah, cool. I tried this shoe and this shoe and this shoe. You want to do that in newspaper form? That's fine. Mm-hmm. But it, 
weird to get the finding Cinderella part also in that form. Yeah, like how did he find her? Where was she? And the picture that was displayed was not a picture of him kneeling, putting the shoe on her or her with the shoe. It was a picture of the butt end of an airplane. And somebody standing by it, but like unclear who. Yeah. So that was, that was baffling. It was a bad choice. In a movie full of bad choices, it was just the one that like, I, just why? Yeah. Did you not want to make a Cinderella? Like, why would you exclude the climax of Cinderella? Like, if you don't want to make a Cinderella, don't do that. No one's, no one's making you make a Cinderella. You can just write a different story. It's, it's In okay. fact, you could have just not done this. Yeah, you could have just gone home instead. Ugh. You could have taken, like, a mental health week and said, no, thank you to this project. That would have been acceptable. So what would you change? Um, oh, I would get rid of the silkworm scene. Mm, didn't like that in all honesty i would probably have the plane be a smaller more cartoonish plane where the plane is like the size of a car or a bathtub or something and it's very small Mm -hmm. because those are cute and would have made more sense with pots and pans i'm changing my mind i would have liked the pots and pans to do something more clever than just pile into a giant pile of aluminum and fuse into a plane i would have liked it if there was something more magical about that transformation i would have accepted that if they had done any transitional animation yeah because they literally just show giant pile of stuff and then just fade into tail of big plane if we got you're gonna hate me for saying this but if we got a little bit of a chevrolet for cinderella scene where like why would you say that I, i don't know that was a rough one for me like whisks turn into propellers and like the handle of the saucepan turns into the tail of the plane and the bulk of the pan turns into the body of the plane. And then like frying pans turn into the wheels or something. Just a funnel turns into the nose of the plane. Just something cute. Okay, so I think that what you're asking for is a much, much better idea than what they did. It's also like a little bit beyond the scope of what I would expect from this movie. So I would say my compromise would be show me these things melting into one solid silver mass and then pop into the shape of a plane. Okay. So like, just show me transition between the state of being a pot to a different physical state to being the plane. Like literally like any sort of fluidity in that. Do you know what you're bringing to mind with this compromise? What? The cookie coach from Scroogerello. Ooh, no. That's how you get a cookie coach, Talon. That's how you get it. Okay, so the other thing about that, because the way that Cinderella's dress transforms is that it kind of blossoms from the center of her torso. And there's multiple stages in the animation where you can kind of see it like grow and expand Mm -hmm. and take its final form. So I wanted that for the plane. I wanted in between animation. Yeah. Full agree. Cuz they can do it. They've did it. They they could have done better. Yeah. Agreed. All right, listeners, don't watch this. No, don't watch this. Obviously, we will never be watching this again. Nope. All done. And uh final grade. I I'm double Fing it. I I know we just invented the double F, but I feel like this is a very appropriate use of the double F. So, I'm going to give this one a single F. Okay. Because the dress was really pretty. I really liked the silhouette thing mm-hmm. in the beginning. And the 
plane transition was an interesting concept. And on a personal note, it just made me really happy when the house exploded. It appears to make me really happy when my Cinderella's have explosions. So I'm going to give it an F because... You could have made a good movie out of this movie. This movie had good components in it. This was not completely devoid of things that were good. It didn't hurt every single frame. It was bad. Oh, it was definitely bad. I'm giving it an F. Yeah. <laughs> just like my emotional response to a double F is just like, did every frame have me like wanting to rip out my eyes and ears? No? Okay. Then it's just really bad. Well, on that note, it is almost midnight. So thanks for joining us. If you <laughs> like this episode, please leave us a rating or a review. We'd love to hear from you. So follow us at Cinderpod on Twitter and Instagram like our Facebook page, or email us at thecinderellapodcast at gmail.com. If you want bibbidi-bobbidi bonus episodes, or to hear us discuss this week's Cinderella, but with more adult questions, language, and beverages, join us in the Ever After Party at patreon.com slash cinderpod. Our intro music is Bad Ideas by Kevin McLeod, and you can find him at incompetech.com. So Liv, what are we watching next week? I'm so happy you asked. I specifically scheduled this because I knew that we were going to have some bad ones. Next week, we're watching the fairy tale theater Cinderella. <gasps> yeah. This is the Shelley Duvall Cinderella. This has a very young Matthew Broderick in it. This is the Cinderella of my childhood that I grew up on. I love this. I adore it. It is perfection. It's super fun. I love watching this, and I'm so excited to watch it again. And I'm so excited to watch it with you. And I'm so excited to review it. And I'm so excited that it's not anything that we just watched. Oh my gosh. I am so pumped. Well, until next week, we hope you have a happily ever after.